Before I pray for us this morning, I want to share a story with you. I remember back in 2015, I went on a retreat called the Emmaus Walk. The concept for the Emmaus Walk retreat comes from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. In that passage, two men were walking down the road from Jerusalem to the town of Emmaus, and Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection, but they did not recognize him. Jesus did not reveal himself to them, but they were also caught up in all the distractions and the events that had taken place that week. And I was thinking back to my time at this retreat, and it reminded me that sometimes we do not see Jesus clearly. That was the central purpose of the retreat, to see Jesus, to forget to get away from your life for a minute, just to have that time to reconnect. Sometimes, in the midst of failures, we do not remember his role as a sacrificial lamb, the one who paid our sins, the one who gave his life in our place. We don't always remember him as the high priest of our faith, who was able to have compassion for us, but also offer the sacrifice that covers our failures so that we may be made right with God the Father. So while I was at this retreat, I met a man named Jonah. And he stood out in the best way possible. Charismatic, loud, full of joy. He was so happy, he was always smiling. He was a man who had truly broken down the barriers of life that got in his way, the distractions that can come along with the faith. He wanted to see more of Jesus every day. And he did not care about anything but living a life that honored God. He never worried about raising his hands. He never worried about what the person to his left or right was thinking. When he would walk into church, it was between him and God. And everything else just seemed to fade away. He only wanted more of Jesus. In the Emmaus walk, they have various stations. And I don't really want to tell you the details, because I'll be honest, that's one of the best things I've ever been to in my life, and I don't want to ruin it for you in case you go, because part of it is showing up and experiencing it. But one of the stations at the Emmaus walk was one of confession and repentance. You would go to the cross at the front of the room, and silently pray for something that's been holding you back. A sin or failure that's been keeping you from giving everything to Christ. Those things that we put way down in the bottom that we try to forget about, that we don't ever want to mention. And then, there was a leader off to the right. So you have the cross in the center, you have a leader off to the right, and he was a local pastor. He was the person in charge of the whole event. And he would pray with you again, And support you through it if you needed it. It was meant to be an emotional time. But also a time to break down the barriers of drawing near to Christ. What is holding you back? The problem is at this time, I'm a pastor in the same town. As the leader of this retreat. And I'm not going to tell this guy my struggles. What if he goes back to my senior pastor and says something to him? So in my head I'm thinking from the beginning... I'm going to make up something more minimal. All these thoughts are running through my head. 
It feels like the time where they, you go to the job interview and they're like, what's your weaknesses? And you're like, probably that I care too much. <laughs> That's your only Michael Scott reference you're going to get today. Or that I just work so much overtime because I will only accept the job being done right. This is what my prayer was going to look like. I was thinking about a curated prayer that would look, make me look like something I wasn't. I wasn't seeing Jesus. I was distracted. So I'm sitting in my chair waiting to go up. And all these thoughts are going through my head. All these distractions that are causing me to miss the point to see Jesus. And then Jonah gets to the cross. Did I mention we were to pray silently at the cross? Jonah did not care who heard or who was around in a booming voice. And I mean literally crying out to God. He prayed for five things. There were issues in his life. And it was like he had come into my head and said my prayer. My honest prayer. Not the one I was trying to tailor for the situation. It was word for word the five things that I was going to bring before God if I was going to be honest. The one stuffed way down. In that moment, I stopped caring who the leader was. I stopped caring about church politics. I just wanted to see Jesus the way Jonah did. I wanted the barriers to be broken down. I wanted more of Christ and less of the distractions around me. This is what we all should want. I only spent about 48 hours with Jonah, but he had a significant impact on me. In fact, the more I think about it, the more it challenges me To live an unashamed, all-in life for Jesus. But my story with Jonah doesn't end there. Four years later, and in these four years, I haven't talked to Jonah once. He's not on social media. I have no idea what he's doing. No contact whatsoever. Four years later, I'm the chaplain at Paris Island. And recently around that time, I had been talking with my wife. Because I was struggling in my ministry, I was struggling in my personal life, struggling with my faith, and honestly, I wanted to quit. On top of wanting to quit, the service I'm in charge of at this time is the biggest service that the Marine Corps has, period. In the summer, I'm preaching to over 6,000 recruits every Sunday in a massive all-weather training facility. It doesn't matter that half of them were asleep. And I'm struggling because if I'm being honest, I started watering down what I was saying. I can make a hundred excuses, but those are irrelevant now. The fact is, I wasn't preaching with the power of the gospel. I would call it more life lesson preaching. Four years later, out of the blue, Jonah calls me. And this is as close to a word-for-word conversation as I can remember. Brother Nick, hello, it's Jonah, how are you? Silence as I'm thinking, who is Jonah? From Emmaus Walk, oh hey brother, what's up? Nothing man, I was just praying for you. This guy's praying for me four years later. I was just praying for you and I wanted to tell you something. Stop saying God when you preach. You have to preach in the name of Jesus. God can mean anything. 
But only Jesus has the power to save. Okay? Okay. Hangs up the phone. (laughs) When you are not seeing Jesus as you should, when you get distracted, God will use people, places, messages, retreats, whatever he wants to, to wake you up. Maybe today is that day. If everything disappeared, all the people in this church, the building, and it was you left at the foot of the cross, what would you say? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today I come to you just wanting more of you. Wanting to draw near to you. Wanting to receive your grace and mercy. Wanting to be forgiven, Lord. Help me relay this message. That you are the center of our faith. That you are the high priest. That you have paid our debts. That you have covered our sins and our failures. And so we may approach your throne. That you have made all things perfect in time. That you show love when we feel unloved. That you give grace when we don't deserve it. And that you are sitting on the throne and still reigning. Regardless of the circumstances we see around us. Help us to see you clearly today. And to recognize you as the high priest of our faith. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. We're going to get into the passage today. It's Hebrews 4 verse 14 all the way through Hebrews 5 verse 10. So I'm going to kind of put it into two different sections. The first section is the um, three verses that are at the end of Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 through 16. And they say, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The high priest, by definition, is the chief advocate of a belief or practice. Since our entire faith is based solely on Christ and his sacrifice, it would make sense that he would be the high priest or chief priest of our faith. His central message was follow me. The chief priest was responsible for the most sacred of sacrifices to God. By tradition, the high priest was a title held by the priest in Judaism who was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies once a year during Yom Kippur. This was the high priest official, the highest priest official. He was the priest of priests. The office first conferred on Aaron by his brother Moses in the Old Testament was normally hereditary and for life. In the second century B.C., however, bribery led to several reappointments. And the last of the high priests were appointed by government officials or chosen by lot. According to tradition, 18 high priests served in Solomon's temple and 60 in the second temple. Since that time, there has been no Jewish high priest for national sacrifice was permanently interrupted with the destruction of the second temple. But I would also add 
that the final sacrifice had taken place and that sacrifices of any kind were no longer necessary. The main thing that stands out in the history of high priests is that several reappointments had to happen due to their bribery and other downfalls. And this is such a reminder of the current state of affairs across the universal church as a whole. Don't be mistaken that anything in this world can keep you from Jesus if you let it. I've seen people walk away from the faith because they cannot accept something the Bible says. I've seen people leave the church from pastors falling into sin. They put their hope in the pastor when we know we're all humans and can fall short. And so in that, they were distracted and missed the point of why they were there to begin with. Two documentaries recently came out targeting the Hillsong Church leaders and the former president of Liberty University. And they're just devastating to the faith. But only if you let it distract you. Only if one of these celebrity pastors is your high priest. But I'm not on my high horse either. Because I've failed over and over again. Been a terrible pastor and chaplain at times. And the only thing that brought me out of it and to refocus on my high priest was Jesus. I know that we will fail, but what Jesus has done never will. He is always the same. When we look at the final verses of Hebrews 4, we get a better understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the high priest of our faith. The passage gives us four qualities of God. Our two responses to him are things that we are called to do and then what we will, what we will receive from our response. So I'm going to list the four qualities, but then we're going to go through them one by one. The four qualities of God are, or of Jesus are, Jesus has passed through heaven. He is the Son of God. Jesus is able to sympathize. And Jesus was tempted as we are, but did not sin. Jesus has passed through heaven. We talked about on Christmas Eve how Christ was always part of the plan from the beginning. He was present in the creation of the world and outside of his time on earth has maintained position at the right hand of God. We know that heaven is a perfect place. God the Father is perfect. So by coming from heaven and resuming his position in heaven, we establish up front that Christ is perfect. And thus, he is a high priest that would not fall short as others in the lineage have. Second, Jesus is the Son of God. We will see in Hebrews 5.5 that it is reiterated what God said to Jesus when he came out of the water in the Gospels, uh, when he came out of the water from his baptism. You are my son. The chief priest of our faith is not only perfect and from above, but Jesus is the literal son of God. Third, Jesus is able to sympathize. Jesus was tempted in the desert after fasting for 40 days and promised everything. Jesus wept. Jesus had family members die. His cousin John the Baptist was beheaded. Jesus saw the church care more about money than people, more about tradition than salvation. Jesus walked the streets with outcasts. 
Jesus was tortured. He was unjustly accused, unjustly sentenced to death. He was so stressed and burdened that he cried tears of blood. He was sacrificed on a cross where he died a slow, agonizing death by suffocation after sitting for hours in tremendous pain. He was abandoned by his family, by his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in a moment, he could feel the weight of a flawed world. So what is it that you are going through in your life that Jesus can't sympathize with? What is it that Jesus can't relate to? People will ask me all the time when something bad happens to them. Where is God? Currently, he's at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. But before that, he was on a cross dying. So you would have a solution to the pain you're experiencing. A solution to the injustice you see. A solution to the sickness that plagues us. That's where Jesus is. He has not abandoned you. Instead, he has actually solved your problems. Not just in the time frame you may have wanted. Fourth, Jesus was tempted as we are, but he did not sin. Jesus dealt with hard people and hard situations his whole life, but he did not sin. He lived a perfect life, and from that became the only high priest in history to be perfect. And the only person to ever walk the earth and die, but not deserve death. That is why his sacrifice was perfect. He gave himself. So in understanding Christ, we must understand what we are called to do, what this passage tells us. The first is, we, we are to hold fast to our confession or our profession of belief. We know that it is easy to believe in Christ internally. But the outward confession of this faith is what we are called to do. It is a call to express that belief outwardly. Just like my friend Jonah at the Emmaus Walk. Lord, I am a wretched sinner and I need you to save me. I used to be a youth minister and have worked with children's ministry as well. If you ever teach in those settings, you know that the kids can be easily distracted. In fact, most of the time when you ask them a question... The answer will be Jesus. Who died on the cross for you? Jesus. What does this passage mean to you? Jesus. Would you like animal crackers or goldfish? Jesus. You can't argue with that. I truly believe if you are all in and Jesus becomes the answer to so many questions in your life, that your life will change dramatically. Next, we are called to draw near to the throne of grace. As you've probably seen or heard through social media or some other outlet, Asbury University has gone into revival or was in revival in their chapel on board their campus. 24 hours a day for a few weeks, worship, prayer, proclamation of the gospel, confession and testimonies have been taking place. From my understanding, without any breaks, people literally went into their weekly chapel left to go to to school, and then just slowly started going back in. I don't know if it was on their own or people started saying, hey, let's go back, and then worship just started. 
and it didn't stop. A week later, people had been traveling from all over the world to witness what was going on. The line to get in was thousands, thousands of people long. And people were waiting for hours to get in. The thing that really stuck out to me, though, about this was when I heard that all these big names in ministry who wanted to come out, they wanted to preach, they were willing to offer their services for free. I don't have a list of the pastors, nor do I care much for name dropping. But the university declined all their offers. Every single one of them. They said they did not want them to get in the way of what God was doing. How God was moving and how people were seeing Jesus in that environment. They didn't want smoke and mirrors. They didn't want distractions. They just wanted Jesus. Because no matter how good you preach or sing, it will never compare to having your eyes open to Jesus in a raw, authentic way. The people in that chapel were drawing near to the throne of grace through the one who provided a way. We are to draw near to the throne of grace. But to do so, that means you must be presented as pure. Unholy can never match to holy, which is why we cannot live a life good enough to ever match a perfect God. We will always fall short. I don't know what distractions within your faith you need to eliminate. But whatever it takes to draw you closer to Christ, you need to do it. If we eliminated big names, books, incredible bands, amazing buildings, if all that is taken away, Jesus will still reign. And only through him will we be able to draw near to the throne of grace. So now let's talk about if we do those things, if we profess, if we draw near, what do we receive? We will receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. Because of who Jesus is and the sacrifice on the cross, if we look to him as the leader of our faith, as the high priest, and confess with our mouths, the scripture says, we will receive mercy and find grace. And man, is that not something we all could use? And this will transition us into chapter 5. Chapter 5, starting with verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor from himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of... I practice this word so long. (laughs) Michelle's a dick. What is it? Mikhail's the dead. In, in the days of his flesh, 
It's, I, I just let me pause. I used to be in speech, so it's pretty profound that I'm up here. I struggle with a lot of these words. Sometimes because I'm ignorant, sometimes I just really can't say it. So we should just call him M for everybody's sake. <laughs> in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. After being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after order of Melchizedek. You see, it's a process. We have talked so far about who God is. We have what we must do, and we have what we will receive. And then it goes into the process, and chapter 5 explains why we can receive mercy and grace from God the Father through Jesus, our high priest, as it describes the role and process in more detail. So, it's important to know, the high priest acts on behalf of men in relation to God. So a prophet, God would speak to the prophet, the prophet would go and tell the people. A high priest, the people come to the high priest, the high priest then goes before God. So that's what we have here. The high priest acts on behalf of men in relation to God. Jesus acted on our behalf to bring and to be the sacrifice. He understands us. And so while we are called to draw near to the throne of God and to confess, it's still not about what we can do, but what Jesus did for us. And I want to paint a picture for you. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would... You have to understand, this is a big show, is the best way I can put it. A lot of rituals, a lot of money spent, a lot of things going into it. So on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would put on, first, his golden garments. There was a ritual bathing and certain sacrifices and rituals that would be done way for hours prior to entering the Holy of Holies. Then he would change into a linen Pure white garment. He would have two for the day. Once it was worn, it had to be discarded a certain way by ritual. It could only be worn once, so he had to have two because he entered the Holy of Holies twice. He would go into the first time to offer the the blood of atonement and incense. And then he would come out, he would change back into the golden garments, he would continue the ritual, and then return to a new linen white garment to enter the Holy Holies a second time to to retrieve the censer. As you can imagine, as much as they could, people would be lined up to view this. It was such a big deal for them because it was the only time that the sacrifice and the offering cleared the sins of everyone. So you hear a lot in the Old Testament about how people would slaughter an animal and they would sacrifice it for themselves. But everybody would come to see this because when the priest went in, it covered everybody. And it was a huge celebration. It was like a day where everybody was completely wiped clean. And if you have to think about it with distractions and all, we would always wonder, did I do enough of my sacrifice? I know the priest has me, but did I always do enough myself? All the high priests of tradition, including Jesus, were a part of humanity. But 
They were also set apart by God. They were called to do this. It wasn't something you could raise your hand and say, I want to do. They were specifically called by God. But the difference is, as we conclude from verse 3, Hebrews 5, verse 3, that separated Jesus, is he did not have to offer a sacrifice for himself. His sacrifice was the first one in which the high priest did not receive anything in return. Jesus died with the sins of the world on him. Not in the forgiveness that we are offered through his sacrifice. In verses 5 and 6, we see that God the Father has not only established that Jesus is his son, but he has given him the divine appointment that comes with it. The role that he must play. The appointment of a priest. In verse 7, Jesus is offering prayers and supplications. Not as someone who has been appointed a priest yet, but instead as someone who is being prepared for it. Jesus' whole ministry was to prepare him for this one sacrifice, for his role as the high priest. The final three verses remind us his role as a priest within the direct line. How he also suffered, became a priest, would have to understand, because how he also suffered, because to be a priest, he would have to understand compassion and have compassion for the people that he was offering a sacrifice for. And finally, how he made all things perfect for those who obey him. Earlier, I told you what it was like for a priest, how it was such a big deal, how people would line up, how people would would come. If I had to guess, you know, this is an Easter Sunday would be a good way to put it. You're going to wear your best clothes. You're going to come. This is where it goes down. This is the biggest day of the year for those of the faith because everything would be clean and made pure. Now I want to show you what it was like when our high priest entered on the final sacrifice. There may have been some time-wise that were conducted after that, but take that image of glory and compare it to when Jesus brought his sacrifice before God. Take all the tradition, the ritual, the money, the splendor, of connecting with God and compare that to the last time our high priest entered before God. This is what it looked like when our high priest brought the sacrifice before God. Mark 15, and I just want you to listen to this. Mark 15, 16 through 25 says this. And the soldier led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and they put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alex and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. 
And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was in the third hour when they crucified him. You take the image of the high priest dressed in the finest clothes, celebrated, people staring in awe, looking at him, going into the holies of holies, the greatest place there probably was at the time of high esteem. And then you take Christ who was beaten and mocked, had people lined up for different reasons, didn't enter the Holy of Holies, instead entered the top of a mountain called Golgotha, place of the skull, to offer the sacrifices. And it kind of makes it go, everything that we were looking for in this was a distraction because what really had taken place there was when you humble yourselves and you see Jesus, then you can truly see the sacrifice and the high priest for what he is. Jesus is our high priest. He brought the sacrifice that can always make us right and new. Nothing else, smoke and mirrors, flashing lights, all that can get in the way. But nothing else is required from us but to confess and draw near. It is not a glorious picture for Christ like it was on the Day of Atonement for the previous high priest. But it was necessary. Don't let anything distract you from that day. Don't let anything water that down for you. Jesus died for you so that you may be saved. He is greater and always will be than your sins and your failures. And so I'll leave you with the same advice that Jonah gave me. God can mean anything to people. Only Jesus has the power to save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to just remember the sacrifice, to remember you as the leader of our faith, to come before you. I pray that the biggest thing we would take, Lord, is that we would just let everything else fade and see you more clearly. That we would be bold in the faith, that we would love people the way that you love us, that we would care for people, that we would just support people. But we can only do that because we know that you have covered us, that you have forgiven us, that we are made pure, that you do not see us for sins and failures, but you see us as reborn. That we are able to approach you because we know Jesus. And so today, Lord, I just pray that we would be filled with your spirit, that we would go from here, bold in the faith. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the church. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.